0: let's look to genesis today going to be in chapter 6 7 8 and 9 not all of those are going to be read in fact i'm going to just kind of summarize the narrative of noah as i want to focus on his life today as we're going through this series called tell the story again now if you remember the story of noah and the flood found in genesis beginning in chapter 6 is a narrative of human wickedness it's of god's judgment and god's mercy that is extended as well In a world that was corrupted by sin and violence, God chose Noah to build an ark to escape the catastrophic flood that would wipe out all of life on earth. And at this time, humanity had multiplied, but at the same time it was multiplying, corruption and evil had spread all across the land, and God saw the wickedness of humanity and decided to bring a flood to cleanse the earth. However, he found favor with Noah enabling him to walk righteously amidst the corruption that was in the land and God instructed Noah to build an ark and make it using specific dimensions and and materials gopher wood and pitch and reed and when we think of the ark we often think of the boat in fact uh often the the pictures that we have even what's on the screen is like that of a vessel a boat but that's not the way the bible actually speaks of the ark remember the bible gives no mention of a sail what you don't have a boat without a sail in that day it has no mention of a rudder has no mention of oarsmen who are oaring the boat there's no way to guide it there's no captain Noah is not the captain of the ark but instead, God in his sovereign providence would guide the ark exactly where he wanted it to go and bring preservation to Noah and his family, thus to all of mankind. The ark, simply put, it's God's deliverance in a world that is scarred deeply with sin. The word ark in our translation of the Bible is actually from the word teva. And it's one of those words that is an imported word from another language. It's a, an Egyptian loan word. In other words, it's an Egyptian word that is spelled out in the Hebrew letters in the Bible, translated to us in English. We have words like that in our English translation as well, like the word angel. Translated, the word angel would mean messenger, but when we read angel, we read it in a transliteration in the English lettering. Same thing for baptizo in the Greek. We use that word baptized, but that's not really the translation. The translation is immerse. And so we have that same kind of thing going on that we find here in the Hebrew words of the Bible. So the Egyptian teba is a word that actually means a rectangular box. If you're going to get a visual image of the ark, you ought to think of it like a coffin because it is a coffer in the egyptian language in fact in the egyptian world there would be an image of a god a false god had no power no personality no means by which to do anything say anything but it was a, a god that was placed in a rectangular box and that is called teva and that would be placed in a home or placed in the in the temples there in egypt and so God has required the writer of, of Genesis, Moses, to use that word, Tevah, to describe this which he was putting Noah, the people made in his image in this rectangular structure that would bring a preservation of mankind. And so he instructed him to build the ark, 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet tall. And a huge structure, no doubt. And at the proper time, God would place Noah and his family. Those people made in his image and all the animals of the creation in pairs that God would use to repopulate the earth and place them in that ark and gave them freedom and, and protected them from the destruction. So Noah obeyed God's instructions and gathered his family and he opened the ark and the pairs came as God... Moved them to come and heeding his commandment, he, Noah, and his wife and his three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and their wives entered the ark just as the rain began to fall. And for 40 days and 40 nights, the skies fell with rain. And beneath the earth, it was opening up so that all the waters below would flood the earth along with the rain and the waters rose. And the mountains and all the earth were covered. The land, everything living perished And then as the waters were receding, the ark came to rest on the Mount of Ararat. And Noah, by the instruction of God, sent out a raven and then a dove. The second came back with an olive leaf. And then it was that Noah knew that the world would be populated again. Finally, God called Noah and the family out of the ark and he blessed them to be fruitful and multiply, establishing a covenant with them and marking the covenant with the rainbow which is cast in the sky now it's a sign that he promised to never destroy the earth again by flood that's the account of noah in a summary version now i want to just draw your attention to three things that intrigued me about noah in the last several days and the first is that the word the, the Lord worked among Noah's family this is not just a story about Noah this is a story about the generations of Noah Noah is the 10th generation of Adam through the line of Seth and looking back through genealogy we see that there are legacy people in Noah's life people who had real intentionality of following God and following the purposes of God Now, you ought to keep in mind, as I'm about to talk about some of those people in the genealogy, you have to keep in mind that people lived a long time in Noah's day, and prior to Noah's day, like hundreds of years. It was not uncommon for them to live several hundreds of years. For example, the scripture says that Abraham fathered Seth when he was 130 years old listen Kay and I get our grandkids periodically and we think whoo I sure am glad we had those when we were 20 because when you're in your 50s it makes a difference what if you were 130 and you had them but Adam had Seth when he was 130 years old and he lived 800 years as his father so this guy lives 930 years Now, there's a pattern when you read the genealogy. There's a pattern of the men who are mentioned there. For example, Genesis 5, 5 says, And Adam had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. And then it says over about Seth, his son. Thus, all the days of Seth were 912, and he died. And then you have the son Enosh. All the days of Enosh were 905 years and he died. Are you seeing a the rhythm there? At the conclusion of every person, they live a long time, but at the end, he died. And it's appointed for man once to die, right? And after that, judgment. That's according to the scripture. So in each mention of the generation, whoever it is, they all live. And respectively, they all die. But now the rhythm of living and dying stopped with Noah's great grandfather, Enoch. And if you remember, his great grandfather was a man who the Bible says walked with God. That is, he lived his life before God very intentionally. I would take that to mean very literally God is in communion with him and walking with him as he is walking with God. And at the age of 365, when he fathered Methuselah, who would be the oldest of all the men recorded in the Bible, Enoch was enjoying great fellowship with God. Unlike all the others, People in the world, Enoch was a man who was faithful to God. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 11, it gives us a little bit more insight. Look at it on the screen, if you will. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was committed as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. Let me just pause. I want to finish that. But Enoch pleased God because Enoch had faith in God. If you want to live your life pleasing to God, it's not going to be by your works. It's not going to be by by your deeds. It is going to be by your faith in God. For without faith, it is impossible to please God. If you're trying your best to clean up your life so that God is satisfied or God is pleased, you need to reset and say, Lord, instead of me living my life to your satisfaction, let me live unto you in faith in Christ who was fully satisfying to you. I have faith in the righteousness of Christ which is shared with me. From his resurrection, he gives me new life and by his death, he takes my sin away blessed be the name of the lord my faith is in you and in that god is pleased god is satisfied so here Enoch is walking in faith in God and he, the Bible says that without faith it's impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. You want God's reward? I want God's reward. You want God's reward throughout all eternity and today? Then live your life in a manner of seeking God not seeking the kingdom of the world, not seeking the gratification of your flesh, not seeking fame, fortune, popularity, monetary value. Live your life seeking God. And you will not just be satisfied, but you will be rewarded today and throughout eternity. So Noah's great-grandfather, Enoch, was one of two people mentioned in the Bible that never experienced death. Elijah and Enoch were taken up by God. Enoch was one of those men who was faithful to God. Now, with God's grace, let us walk faithfully with him. And the Lord recognizes our faith in him more than he does our work with him. I miss that in my, in my younger days, in, in my Christian walk, I miss that. I, I, th- I thought my life in Christianity was all about doing for God. I really didn't understand the depth of this until much later and still wrestle with it. The greatness of my life is when I live in fellowship with God. When I walk with him, when I'm seeking him. Not doing for him, but being in him. If you want to live your life to the fullness... In Christ as a Christian then it won't be by you changing or doing or modifying it will be by you pursuing Christ and the more you pursue Christ the more he will shape you into the beloved image of Jesus seek after him follow him and let's purposely draw near to him in every aspect of our lives and this let's just count it to be the case that God will reward our faithfulness now Genesis 5 mentions two ways that Enoch is rewarded by God what are those two ways well number one he didn't experience death that's that's a pretty good reward you don't have to go through the pain and suffering of death he was rewarded by being drawn up into heaven and the second reward that I know of in Genesis 5 is that his great-grandson would walk in the way that he walked He would walk in righteousness. He would walk in the favor of God by faith. So Genesis is is giving that understanding. What a blessing for families who experience generational faithfulness. Living faithfully before our families, living purposefully under Christ is our greatest legacy. If you thought it was all about building up an estate that you can pass on to your kids, building up a business so that they can take it over, if you thought it was all about having and doing and going and being among your family, this and that and the other, I want to reset your thinking and mind too. The greatest legacy that we can have is to live before Christ with faith unto him his glory as we seek him and do it in a way that our generations our families our grand, our children and our great grandchildren see that that will be your greatest legacy for any of you who are in your 50s 60s 70s 80s or beyond your legacy will not be in what you leave in treasure it will be the treasure of faith that you have lived before your family let them watch you And it will be as Enoch that your great grandchildren will potentially live out a life of faith and honor to the Lord Jesus Christ. What a legacy that is. When your great grandchildren look back and say, man, my great grandmother or my great grandfather lived unto Jesus, I want to be like him, I want to be like her. What a blessing. Your faith journey in Christ will allow you to impact your generations of your family. Can I just tell you? You are impacting your family, good or bad. You are building a legacy. Let it be unto the glory of Christ. Let it be good. Now, Enoch, fathered Methuselah. What do you know about Methuselah? He, He was an old, old guy, right? I remember one of our life groups asking just in to get the lesson started what what do you want the epitaph to be on your tombstone and and one of the guys said i I know what mine ought to be he lived a long life (laughs) i appreciate that god has given that to us a, a desire to live a long life methuselah was one of those who lived a long life but we should think more than just about his number of years 969 years we we should think about god's mercy and grace when we hear the name Methuselah. Now, if you break that name down, there's a lot of uh, discrepancy about this among people because biblical languages sometimes, especially those that are ancient are a little difficult to understand. But that word Methuselah actually comes from two words in the Greek language that are rooted in what will give us an expression of his name. Meth or muth is a word that is just always described as death or dying, it is to die. It appears in various words of the Hebrew language, and they're all related to death, myth. And selah is this word that means to send or to bring forth, and it can also be related to the word shalak. And that word also is to be sent out and to dispatch. And so based on the interpretation of those two root words that make up the name Methuselah, it is often associated with a meaning like this, when he dies, it shall be sent or his death shall bring. Now, that interpretation is often connected to this long life that Methuselah has lived. And in that long life, we see that God's judgment would come at the conclusion of his life, at his death. But in that, he is the oldest recorded man ever in history of the Bible to be mentioned. And his name means at the end of his death, death death will come, it shall be, or God will send it, tells us that God is a long-suffering God, full of patience, full of mercy, extending that out to us. And it's not just that name, but that name has great understanding about God's goodness and God's sovereignty. Now, sometimes we kind of breeze through the genealogies that we read about in the scriptures and we just uh, that one that one that one begot that one that one that one we just kind of skip along but l- let me put it to you in a in a laid out fashion Enoch fathered Methuselah Methuselah at 187 fathered Lamech at 182 Lamech fathered Noah and of course Noah had three sons Noah's life the flood started. Now, watch this. At the end of Methuselah's life, he will send it. This death will come. When you add up the life, 187 plus 182 plus the 600 years of Noah before the flood, guess what year you get? 969. And so, Methuselah is living in the entire generation and the next generation and Noah's generation to the point of the year that the flood begins, he dies. And knowing God and how precise he is, my guess is the day he died was the day the thunder rolled. What is God saying in that? For 969 years, he has been offering mercy. He's been telling of a judgment that is to come. He's been telling, when this man dies, I will send it. If nothing more, we have 120 years, which God said, I will not always tarry with man. In other words, I think he's saying there, 120 years it would be that Noah would be building this ark. And at the conclusion of that, God's mercy will not be extended beyond Lamech names Noah Noah and that name expresses relief and compassion uh, a grace that is extended by God in fact Lamech says of Noah out of the ground that the Lord has cursed this one shall bring relief from our work and from the pain and toil of our hands I'll speak more about that in just a moment but I want you to know in this very first point your faith has generational impact good faith mediocre faith strong faith it has generational impact i think we ought to be very purposeful about our faith all right second thing that i've learned this last few days that i've really concentrated on is that the lord revealed grace and hope through noah He's revealing grace and hope through Noah. Now listen to God's summary of the world during Noah's lifetime. Here's what God says. You you know, corruption was rampant in the earth in that time. It's escalating. Genesis 6, 5 through 8 says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So God is determined to destroy all breathing things on the earth and in the sky Because man's sinful nature was all-consuming. Every intention of his heart was toward evil. And let me just pause here to make mention that sin is rooted in our flesh, and it is progressive if we do not take captive every thought to the obedience of Christ. If you just let it go on autopilot, your flesh will rule you and steer you right away from the fellowship that God wants to have with you. So you and I have to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And if we don't take that thought captive, the flesh will take over. It will consume us as it was in the generation of Noah where every intention of the heart was toward evil we cannot let that be let me just remind those of us who have faith in jesus christ we are made new in him his nature is given to us his holy spirit is given to us and there is a battle waged between the spirit within us and the flesh and god has given it so that we can have victory over the flesh by the power of the spirit you think you have to be ruled by your anger you don't You think that pornography has its hold on you and won't be released, it won't. You think that this or that or whatever it is that you're struggling with is always gonna be your issue, it will not. You have to learn to take every thought Captive to the obedience of Christ. Hey, allow yourself for a moment to think, if I let this thing run its course, God, show me where it will end up. Show me the brokenness. Show me the pain. Show me the suffering. Show me where I will end if I don't start taking these thoughts captive. And maybe by his grace, he will allow you to see how dark and how ruined your life and the lives of other generations behind you will be. Take those thoughts captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. Let the power of the Spirit rise up in you and the victory that it's belonging to you in Jesus Christ, walk triumphantly over that. Connect with other people who are in the same journey and let them walk with you. Sin will run its course if you allow it to, but God has made it so that you can walk with him. And when the whole world was walking in the way of sin. Noah was given favor by God. Now, we can take those words in chapter 6, verse 8, and we can bear them to heart, but I want to focus in on one word. When we read the word favor, we could just as easily translate that as grace. In fact, you might just think about reading that verse with the word grace in mind, because the word there in the Hebrew language is kain, uh excuse me, hain and, and that word means to be filled with grace, filled with favor or it could be uh, some essence of goodwill so Noah reveals how mankind can have relief from sin and the curse of sin and it's simply this, our relief from sin and its curse is God's grace it is God's favor it won't be by your tenacity it won't be by your willpower that you're going to change The overcoming of sin is by God's extension of grace, his favor that is given to us. So Noah is experiencing this kind of favor, this goodwill of God. So he reveals how we can have relief from the curse of sin. It's God's grace. He is experiencing what Paul would later give as a portrait in this grand chapter two of Ephesians. By grace we are saved through faith and not of our works. It's by grace. So Noah reveals that by faith, mankind might enter God's gracious provision of salvation, be rescued from judgment and ultimately have present and eternal rest in Jesus Christ. If you've got your hand out, you ought to circle that paragraph, because that is the meat of the gospel. This is what God is doing. The gospel is God is extending his grace to us that we might enter into his gracious provision of salvation. That's what Noah and his family were doing. They were entering into the provision of God by his grace. They were being rescued from judgment, quite literally from the judgment that would bring death to a whole world. To have present rest and eternal rest. And that's a picture of the salvation that is offered for us. That we enter into Christ Through grace. Now, I want you to know Noah was not a sinless man. Except for God's sovereign grace, he and his family would have perished like the rest of mankind in that flood. However, God elected to give him favor, showing him grace by extending salvation to him. He's doing the same for you and me. You might say, Well, Randy, how do I know God looks upon me with favor? How do I know that God has? extended grace to me listen if you're wondering if God looks upon you with favor I'll tell you if you are hearing his gospel he has looked upon you with favor you want to know if God is being gracious to you if you are hearing his gospel he is also giving you grace that you might have faith to reply to that gospel message that's God's favor He's finding you in a world that is corrupt and he's saying, I have favor on you and I'm extending my good news to you. And he's waiting for a grateful response. Now, what is that gospel? Well, it could be summarized in the First Corinthians chapter 15. Christ died for our sins in, in accordance with the scripture. And then he was buried and then he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture. In other words, the scripture has been telling us this all along and Christ accomplished that. Or he ascended among many witnesses who saw him and he's now seated at the right hand of God the Father and he will return again to receive those who are faithful to him. And there we will dwell forever with him. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. That's God's gospel to you, his offer of favor and grace to you. Which leads me to this third and final point. As Noah was faithful, righteous, and obedient in his day, so we must be until the day of God. As Noah was faithful, so what? we must be now God of course promised never to destroy the earth by flood again but he foretold that he would annihilate it with fire you need to know that he destroyed it by flood promised never to do that again and when you see the rainbow in the sky it's a reminder of that great covenant that God has made but he has foretold us he will destroy it and it will be destroyed by fire. In fact, Second Peter chapter 3 tells us of that. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. And since these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord, the day of God, excuse me, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. The day of the Lord is coming. Therefore, we ought to live our lives in holiness and godliness, doing the work of the Holy Spirit that he has called us to do to the glory of Christ Jesus. So Noah was a man who lived in a time of wickedness. It's saturating the earth. Every intent of the heart was toward evil and even though the Western culture is depraved and violence racks our communities, we don't know the depth and the width of depravity like the day of Noah. Even so, Noah lived in stark contrast to the people of his generation. Although God vowed to destroy mankind and all creatures and in the heavens that breathe, saying, everything that is on the earth shall die, he gave grace to Noah. And with grace, the Bible characterizes Noah as a righteous man, blameless in his generation, somebody who walked with God just like his great-grandfather Enoch. Noah was a man of righteousness who preached the way of righteousness. He was a man of obedience who put his faith to practice and action, preaching righteousness as he's building the ark. Some would say it would take as many as 120 years to build that vessel. He was a man of faith. Hebrews defines that he had assurance of things hoped for, confident in the things not seen. Noah was a man confident in his resolve that God was going to fulfill his word. So every year, he built that ark, he built it far away from the ocean, and he built it without ever seeing a drop of rain like you and I experience now in our time. Can you imagine the attacks that came against Noah? You, you think you and I have attacks? Because YouTube might bump us? Because uh, Facebook might block us? because X the old Twitter would take it away that's that's not persecution listen I can only imagine the attacks that came against Noah wicked men berated him but he kept on building evil men pursued him but he kept on preaching abounding temptation pummeled him but he determined to be pure no doubt the devil in his horde rebuffed him but he righteously obeyed the Lord Jesus Christ imagine the internal attacks that came against him exhaustion came but he pressed on in the strength of the Lord and discouragement must have haunted him but he honed his heart with the message of the Savior and when time seemed to drag on construction turned from days to months and months to years and years to decades and decades to a century he continued to be resolved and pressed towards faithfulness to God just like Methuselah had told him it shall be when I die it will be sent and ever since that time when he might wane he looked to God to protect it will not always abide with men for the flesh in the flesh his day shall be a hundred So, Meadowbrook, you and I need to be a whole lot like Noah. We need some Noahs in this congregation. If it were that we were to model our lives like Noah, there would be no better rule to follow than Genesis 6, verse 9. Let us us be righteous people, blameless in our generation, and walking daily, with God that's what you and I are called to be righteous people people that live in a way that nobody could accuse us and it hang that it stick walking with God daily no matter the culture's degradation let's stand in contrast to the culture let's live in righteousness and when the world is filled with lies and deceit let us not sway from being steadily grounded in God's word the Bible his truth And even when so-called wise people claim the foolishness of the gospel, let us faithfully cling to the old rugged cross and let us point out there's an empty tomb and let our eyes be cast to the eastern sky knowing that he is coming again for those who are faithful unto him. We are people of grace pursuing the way of Noah because we recall the words that were spoken of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ before his death and before his ascension. He said, heaven and earth. Will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning the day or the hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away, so will be the coming of the son of man that's the the purposefulness for which we live in the way of noah living in the way of christ in god's grace we must be faithful molding and modeling ourselves purposefully after the generations that we find in noah's life may our generations our family see the same in us We are to be examples of God's grace to the world that is so desperately in need of hope. And therefore, let us press on with faithfulness. Let us live in righteousness and let us do that which is obedient to the glory of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Our eyes and our ears are often attentive to the waywardness of the world the bad news that is rampant on the land but today we have been reminded that we have one purpose living in your grace with faithfulness and obedience walking righteously with Jesus doing the work he's called us to do let us be found faithful May our kids know that we have love for Jesus more than anything else. May our grandchildren see that our purposefulness in life is the kingdom of God. And may our great-grandchildren, who may or may not ever sit in our lap, know of the name of Jesus by which we have lived unto his glory. And in that, Lord... Our life will be well lived. So help us, God, I pray.